0: Well, I'm happy to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, For I think I know many of you, but for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris. Uh, Me and my wife Sam are part-time challenge staff here, and uh, we're yeah excited to be with you guys. Um, I've come to know that some of you might not know who my wife is. Uh, So this is my wife. That's me and my wife, and that is our little baby girl, who's coming. So I make a lot of dad jokes, and now it's okay. Um, so tonight we're going to continue in our series um, that we've been going through called Written for Our Instruction. And we've been looking at uh, a key passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And what we've been looking at is what it's talking about here is the characters in the Old Testament, the people in the Old Testament. Um, their lives were really an example. Um, and it's not just for our entertainment uh, for, or for our knowledge. Those things were really written so that we could learn from them. They were written for our instruction. Um, so tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah's example for our instruction on finding, maintaining, and carrying out a vision for your life. Sorry, did everyone get that? Finding, maintaining, and carrying out vision for your life. Um, so before we kind of dive in there, like to give you guys some time to get to know each other a little more, uh, get to share with one other. Um, so we all like to set out to do something and to accomplish it. Um, so I'd like to maybe just take one to two minutes just to share with the person next to you something that you've set out to do and actually accomplished and, and done. So I need to take some time to do that. Right now. Does anybody want to share something they heard that someone else accomplished? That, I heard some clapping over here. You got one? Okay, I mean, nice, that's pretty good. Yeah, Paige? So design of Awesome, wow. that is really cool. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, it, f- it feels really good to accomplish what you set out to do. Um, I, think, I think that's what we all want. We, re- we all wanna kind of realize the goals that we set. And um, we want that for our lives. We want to accomplish with our lives what we set out to do. Um, So that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at Nehemiah's example of doing exactly that. Um, So let's start tonight by first looking at what we need to be able to do that. Um, So a wise man once shared with me um, this recipe, a recipe for finding, maintaining, carrying out a vision for a successful life. So the first thing you need is you, you need vision. You have to know where you're headed. If you don't know where you're headed, you you can't get there. The second thing you need is you need need character, and and character is really who you are on the inside, who you are when no one's looking. Um, When something hard comes up and there's an easy way out, but you know it's not the right way, do you choose the easy way or do you choose the right way? And then skills, skills are actually the ability to make progress, the ability to progress towards your vision. So we need all three of these things um, to reach and. to find, maintain, and carry out the vision. So we need uh, the character to maintain it, and we need the skills to carry it out. So now we're gonna kinda look at what happens if you have two of these things, but you're missing one of them. So the analogy that I think is helpful for this is, uh, imagine you're gonna get on a road trip with some of your friends, and you get in the car, it's a manual car, all right? So that's where we are. So <laughs> if you have character and skills, but no vision, that's like getting in the car, but not really know where, knowing where you're going. So you just get in, you start to drive, you end up going in circles. You never end up really getting anywhere. If you have vision and skills, but no character, um, that's like driving, you know where you're going, you know how to drive the manual car, uh, but you're just driving recklessly. Um, And that's really how you can wreck your car. And if you don't really have character, that's one way you can really wreck your life. Um, Third one is if you have character and vision, so you don't drive recklessly, you know where you're going, but you don't know how to drive a manual car and you're just kind of and jerking the whole way there, um, you're just gonna end up frustrated. So I think this was really helpful for me in a way to remember this, kind of rearrange the order to CVS. So C, character, V, vision, and S, skill. Oh, I skipped a slide. But yeah, so that will help you remember it. Um, so every time you go to CVS, I want you to think character, vision, skills. That's what I need for a successful life. All right, so that would be good. So now that's, that's the what about what we need to find, maintain, and carry out a vision. Um, but knowing the what doesn't really help you unless you, you know the how to do that. Um, so that's kind of where we're gonna look into the life of Nehemiah right now. Um, so again, so we're looking at Nehemiah's example for our instruction on finding, maintaining, carrying out a vision for a successful life. Um, so before we dive into that, I want to just give you a little bit of background story. Um, so we had the uh, nation of Israel up here. Um, and so the nation of Israel had some good kings for a while. And then, so like David and Solomon. And then they had some bad kings uh, who really turned away from God and didn't really want to walk with them. Um, so the kingdom split in two. And so this is about 150 or so years before Nehemiah. And even before that, the Assyrians came down, and they conquered the northern kingdom. And then what happened was the Babylonians, this whole empire, came and they conquered the people of Jerusalem, the the southern kingdom. And when they came, they not only conquered them, uh, but they really wiped them out. They wiped out the whole city, they destroyed the temple, they wiped out the walls, and they carried all the people back to Babylon into exile, basically to be their servants. So that, that was about 150 years before Nehemiah. And then about 90 years before Nehemiah, all the Medes and the Persians kind of in the east, they come and then they conquered the whole Babylonian empire. And they kind of had a different um, thought about how to rule their kingdom. And so they, they let the Jews who wanted to, to go back to Jerusalem to kind of re, reestablish relig- religious life, to reestablish the temple. Um, Their thought was that if people are happy and and they're doing their own religion, then they're gonna be better subjects for our kingdom. Um, They're probably gonna obey better. And so this is kind of where we enter the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian um, kingdom. And he's the cupbearer to the king. And so what the cupbearer was, is he's a person who tests all the food, who actually eats it before it goes to the king to make sure that it's not poisoned. Um, so he could really do this job until he dies. Great job, security. How um, you like that one? See, I told you, dad jokes. Um, so this is, this is where we enter the story, all right? Cupbearer to the king. So, Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. So the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, again, so that's the capital, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah, so basically Jerusalem, all the way back here, all the way to here, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." So Nehemiah really hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, um, and it, it really stirs his heart, it makes him, makes him sad. Um, he feels it emotionally. Um, now this wasn't just you know, a, a problem of not having a wall around a city, there was a little more to it. Um, the wall was really what protected the people, but it was also kind of what gave the people their identity. Um, so what Nehemiah is hearing is more than just a material problem, it's really an identity problem with the people. the the Jews who have gone back are kind of living in shame and disgrace because all the people around them um, know that they're not protected and they don't really have their identity um, in the city. So after this, um, Nehemiah continues to kind of ponder this for a while. And there's about a four-month period where Nehemiah is kind of thinking and chewing on this. And that's kind of where we um, get to the next uh, part. So what we, what we see, Nehemiah begins, he gets this vision to go back and actually begin to rebuild the walls and to help the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem kind of reestablish their identity and move from a state of shame and disgrace um, back into where they belong really as God's people. Um, so we're going to kind of look, there's kind of like three ways I see here that Nehemiah finds this vision. Um, so the first thing is he, he really looks beyond himself. He kind of steps out of his comfort zone and he asks questions, he asks about how the people are doing. Um, he's not just concerned with what he's doing there in Sousa with his position, but he's concerned outwardly. He takes a step out of his comfort zone to find out what's going on in the world. Then he, he feels. Um, he really, he really um, feels what he hears. Um, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Um, he's not just hearing it and saying, oh, this doesn't affect me, I'm not going to really think about it how these people are feeling and their problems, but I'm going to actually let myself feel um, what they're going through. And then the third thing is, is he chews on it. Um, he chews on what he sees and feels. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, he processes it. He thinks about what could be done to solve this problem. He begins to chew on it. And over time, what happens is a vision really materializes. And what could be, which was a thought in his head, really moves to what should be in his heart. And he begins to move towards making it happen. So that's where we continue the story. Nehemiah 1, 11 through 2, 8. So Nehemiah is continuing to pray. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And this man is the king. In this month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so this is, again, about four months after he's first heard from the people in Jerusalem what's going on, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because, of the, gracious hand of my God, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my, my request. So we, we've seen how Nehemiah finds the vision, and now he's trying to carry it out. Um, so what we see here is kind of a pattern um, that Nehemiah shows about how to maintain and carry out the vision. And, and the pattern is really this. He, he chooses to pray, prepare, and persevere. And we're going to see this throughout the story of Nehemiah. This is what he does. He pray, prepare, persevere again and again. So how do, how do we see that in, in what we just read? So when he's, when he's preparing to talk to the king, uh, he really asks God for success. He recognizes that hey, if God is, is not with me, um, he, it's probably not going to work out so well. So he asked him, he asked God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Then what we see, um, kind of behind the scenes, but what we see is that Nehemiah was really prepared for this meeting with the king. He didn't just go in empty-handed. He had thought through what he wanted to say, and he had thought through what he was going to say if the king granted his request. You know, the king asked him, how long are you going to be gone? So he set a time. He already knew. He had an idea of how long he was going to be gone. He had a plan. And he also asked the king you know, for letters to the different people that were along the way and near Jerusalem so that they would know that Nehemiah was sent by the king and that he had permission to do that. That way he'd be safe. And he also knew the name of the keeper of the royal forest. Um, so he, he had done some research. He was prepared for this meeting with the king. He didn't just go in empty-handed, not thinking beforehand. And then what we also see is, is he really persevered. Um, in that time, if, if you went to the king and you said something the king didn't, didn't like, the king was an absolute dictator. He could do whatever he wanted. He could just have you killed on the spot. So that's why we see you know, Nehemiah was very afraid, but he continued on, he persevered. So I think um, it's pretty reasonable to, to um, think that, so Nehemiah was gonna go back and be kind of the governor of Jerusalem. And he probably looked at some of the old rulers of Jerusalem and got some of their wisdom beforehand. Um, so two of those guys were, were, were David and Solomon. And I think this is how Nehemiah knew how to pray, prepare, and persevere. So pray. In, in Psalm 121.1, um, D- David writes, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. You know, Solomon writes in, in Proverbs 16.3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You know, Nehemiah really recognized that if, if God wasn't in what he was doing, and if God wasn't involved, and if God wasn't ordaining what he was doing, then it, it wasn't really going to work out. It, it wasn't going to happen. And he really needed to ask God to be involved and to, and to move. Prepare. Um, Nehemiah recognized, like, like Solomon, that all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. He recognized that he really had to prepare for what he was doing. You can't just go in without preparing beforehand. You need to do your homework. And then persevere. Uh, Psalm 16, 8. Solomon writes, I'm sorry, David writes, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. What David's knowing here and saying and what, what Nehemiah recognized is that if God is with me, I can really persevere through hard things because I know he's going to bring me through. And he's at my right hand, and I don't need to be shaken by these things. So what Nehemiah does is he... He does exactly what he set out to do. He gets the letters and he begins to go back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he um, surveys kind of the the ruins. The city's just a total mess. All the walls are knocked down. It says there's not a stone left on top of each other. Um, and he begins to kind of plan for what he's gonna do. And it takes about three days to kind of survey what's going on and you know, talk to the people, see um, what the situation is and, um, what he finds is, so this is kind of what the city would have looked like at that time, before, after the walls were rebuilt. And so there's, there's um, the old city used to kind of expand way farther out. But what Nehemiah recognizes, is, A, now there's a lot less people, and B, all the people around want to really um, destroy what they're doing. And so what he does is he has, um, he gathers about 40 different leaders of different families, of different um, trades, and, they each begin to rebuild a certain portion of the wall, and they're all rebuilding together. And that's kind of where this, the story continues. So Nehemiah 4, 6 through 18. But when Sambalot and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashrodites, heard that repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And again, we'll see Nehemiah, pray, prepare, persevere. Pray, prepare, persevere. And we pray to our God, praise, and set a guard as protection against them day and night. You know, he prepares, he gets ready. If Judah, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see when we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near them came down from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. You know, they're saying, hey, if you guys keep working on this wall, the people around us are going to come and attack us. So what does Nehemiah do? So he prepares. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And he perseveres. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You know, he really encourages the people to persevere, to recognize that, you know, if God is with them, if God is at their right hand, like, like David talks about in Psalms, then, then they can really persevere and make it through. Then, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we returned to the wall, each to his own work. The story continues. And again, we'll see Nehemiah, pray, prepare, persevere, pray, prepare, persevere. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. So, there, so before, you know, the wall's kind of just getting built, and now we're when it's almost finished, they've done all the walls, but they haven't really put in the gates, which would be a critical point because that's kind of like the weak point in the wall, so the gates had to be really strong. So if you don't have the gates, you still don't really have a use for a wall because there's a big hole in it. Um, so Sambalat and Gesem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together in the plain of Ono. So Sambalot and Gesem are two of the kind of the people who are ruling the other people that are around Jerusalem. And they want Nehemiah to come down and, and talk to them and make a treaty. And you know this might've been tempting to Nehemiah to you know, be, he's the leader of Jerusalem and to be able to speak and be in the presence of these other leaders um, and kind of be in a position of power. Um, but what, he, what does he do? You know, he must have prayed, because he knew that they intended to harm him. But they intended to do me harm, he says. And I sent messengers to them, saying, he perseveres, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, so this time he's, you know, he sent the letter four times, each time Nehemiah responds, I'm doing a great work, I cannot come down. Continuing to persevere, recognizing that he needs to do what he's doing, and he needs to accomplish his mission and finish it. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. So an open letter would be, they would read it out loud, so everyone could hear it. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, so come and let us take counsel together. So now what what, um, Sambalot is saying is, hey, there's all these reports that that you're rebuilding the city so you can rebel against the king of Persia, and and he's going to come and crush you. Um, So you need to stop doing what you're doing. Otherwise, we're going to report that to the king. Kind of a subtle way of telling him that. So what does Nehemiah do? Then I said to him, sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. So Sambalot really wants to frighten them to make them consider that you know, the, the Persians are going to come and just wipe out all that they've done and wipe, wipe them out again. Back to square one. But Nehemiah perseveres. He knows that that's not true, what they're saying, and he decides to continue on. And, he, he, and then he prays. He says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. Really asking God to help him finish the work, to finish what he set out to do. And that, that's exactly what they did. So Nehemiah um, 6, 15 to 16, this is kind of the end of the story. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. 52 days, that's remarkable. The, the wall was probably about a mile long and at least, you know, five or so feet thick, and probably about 20 feet high. Um, so this, this is a, a very impressive feat. Um, that's coming from a civil engineer. Um, and and when all our enemies heard of it, the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this, this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So we, we see that Nehemiah really produces something amazing. He's built this whole wall in 52 days, um, but we also see that that's not really the purpose here. The purpose is really, A, to restore the people and, and point them back to God, and also just to point um, the other people around them to who God is. And that's, that's really the why. So, so the key to finding, maintaining, and carry out a vision, um, now you know the what, what you need. You need character, vision, and skills the how, um, how to find a vision, uh, looking, feeling, chewing on it, and then the why, uh, and, sorry, and then the how to maintain and carry it out. Um, and we saw that in Nehemiah, the, the process that he continues to go through as he maintains and carries out the vision, pray, prepare, persevere, pray, prepare, persevere. And then why do we do that? We, we really do that um, so that we can point to, point to who God is. Um, you know, that's really what, what God made us to do. It, we, he made us to reflect who he is to those around us. And God, God is all about people. Um, if you look at scripture, only, only three things you know, stay forever. It's God, God's word, and, and God's people. Um, a, a, life, a life vision that doesn't have those three things in mind um, doesn't really amount to a successful life in God's eyes um, at the end. Um, so, so you might be in uh, different places. Um, you might not have found a vision yet. Um, so so how, how would you do that? What are some practical steps you can, you can take to do that? So I'd like to offer um, just a couple suggestions on ways to practically apply that, um, even as now as a student, and then just share a little bit of my own story with you guys um, to kind of hopefully you know, give a, a picture of what this could look like. Um, so if you haven't found a vision yet, so what, what can you do now? So finding a vision, remember, look, feel, chew. Um, so what can you do to look? Um, I, think, I think one thing is, is really leaving your bubble, leaving kind of your comfort zone, um, beginning to hear the stories of people around you who are hurting or people who maybe aren't around you. Um, so you can walk across the hallway, ask, ask your neighbors you know, to tell, tell you their story to, to get to know who they are. Um, you could talk to someone who's homeless on the street, learn their story. Um, or you could go on, go on a trip, go on a missions trip, begin to see what God is doing in a different part of the world. Um, and then what, what can you do to feel? Um, you really just allow, your, allow people's stories um, to hit your heart and allow yourself to care for people. It's, it's kind of a choice. You can choose not to do it or you could choose to do it. And then what do you do to chew? Um, you look First you have to look and feel and then you really spend time asking God, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm seeing this, I'm feeling this. Um, wh- what can I do about it? You begin to think about it. And then over time, um, God can really work so that what could be in your head really moves to something that should be in your heart, and that's kind of where a vision emerges for something that you should do. Or you might already be, or you might already have a vision and be in the process of carrying it out. So what you can begin to do is begin to model what Nehemiah did in maintaining and carrying out his vision: pray, prepare, persevere. So, so pray is as simple as kind of asking God to lead you. Uh, to turning to God when things get tough. Really, you can memorize Psalm 127.1 and recognize that. Really, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. Then you can prepare. You can, you can get some training. You can, you can find a mentor. Um, all the staff here would love to get to know you and love to help you um, begin to develop skills and begin to um, work on your character. And finally, Persevere. Um, For me, that looks like memorizing Nehemiah 6.3 and just reminding myself that when things get tough, you know, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And then you persevere, and you finish the work. So I just want to share a little bit about my own story. Um, So I'll start back when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, as Neil, if Neil had known me then, he might have said I was as lost as a duck in the desert. (laughs) As you can not see, but maybe see. (laughs) Yes. Timing is everything in jokes. So this was me, uh, my sophomore year in in high school. Um, So let's kind of go through the what I needed to find, maintain, and carry out a successful vision for my life. So first thing, needed a vision. Uh, Didn't really have that. Had no idea what I wanted to do in life. Had no direction. Nothing. Not at all. Um, Skills. uh, I was... Pretty darn good at Call of Duty, if I might say it myself. <laughs> um, I was pretty good at basketball. I was all right at school, not too bad. Um, and then character, that was, that was probably the worst one for me. I had a lot of you know, secret struggles. Um, looked good on the outside, not good on the inside. Um, struggled with pride and pornography and lust and, and a lot of stuff. Um, and really, yeah, just didn't have good character. And then, so for whatever reason, um, probably because a lot of my friends were going. I decided to go on a service trip uh, to a rural area in Montana uh, with a group from my church. And this was really kind of the first time I stepped out of my comfort zone, my Weymouth, Massachusetts bubble. And uh, I began to really um, see and hear some people's stories of hardship, I'm just living in a rougher area than I was uh, growing up, grown up in. And uh, the next year, ended up going on the same trip and uh, began to really feel more inclined to want to serve and help people as we did that, God really just put that on my heart. And I found that as I was doing that, I was really beginning to enjoy caring for people's needs um, and had a growing desire to, to begin to help people. Um, so going into senior year, i had kind of been processing what I had seen and heard and felt during my time in Montana. Um, and at that point, I just decided to tell God that if he really wanted me to give my life to helping people, um, that I would do that. So I, I kind of began to think and pray about how I could do that best. Um, so God really put on my heart and I, I decided to go to school to get a civil engineering degree um, and some work experience to really be better, better able to help people um, in poverty kind of recapture their identity. Um, a lot of times when we think about poverty, we think about um, kind of material things. We'll define it in terms of how much money they make or if they have water or if they have you know a home or whatever it is, that's kind of how in Our culture, we define it because that's the way we see it. But people who are actually in poverty, when people ask them, they usually define it in terms of identity. They define it in terms of, you know, poverty is feeling shame. It's feeling hopelessness. Um, So really what what I really wanted to do and continue to want to do is really um, help people in poverty pull themselves out and really recapture who they are. And in doing so, really share who God is with them and really point them to who God is. So, I set out on oh, my senior year, went to school, and then um, okay, the next one. And then um, my sophomore year I had an opportunity to take a trip to Swaziland, and just this was just kind of another way to step out of my comfort zone and kind of look again to kind of see what God is doing in the world, and also just to prepare and learn some ways on how to practically serve people. So I did that and then. Came back after sophomore year, um, after, sorry, after freshman summer and started sophomore year. And uh, sophomore year was actually one of the toughest times for me. Um, I came back to school and I had just been in Twaziland for a month and I really loved what we were doing there and loved being a part of it and loved helping out in the little ways that we could. Um, but when I got back to school, I was taking like the hardest level of classes, probably the hardest classes I've, I took during my time at school, um, kind of like imaginary numbers and mechanics, you could ask Cole, Cole was in my classes. Um, And they they were really tough. Um, And I I actually, honestly, considered dropping out of school. I considered just stopping and saying, you know what, I I, I really just wanna go, I wanna go right now. Um, But thankfully, I kind of talked to my dad and some other um, older, wiser people, and they kind of helped me realize what, what Nehemiah knew is that you really need to prepare. For what you're gonna do. You can't just set out and, and go do it. Um, and so I began to persevere through that, through the hard time, and uh, work through school. Um, so during the same time, I, I lived with a bunch of guys. Um, Cole's one of them, he's here tonight, which is pretty cool. And uh, this was really when I began to, to work on my character. And, and one way you can do that, and what really helped me was, was having like, a safe group of friends. I could be open and honest with about my struggles Um, and then moving on kind of found a mentor in Neil and uh, really begin to learn some practical skills in in how to help people and continuing to prepare all the while continuing to pray prepare persevere trying to apply that to my life Um, and this is this something you can really do so, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely still in the process of, of figuring all this out, in the process of finding, maintaining, and, and carrying out a vision for my life. Um, but, so I'm only, I'm only 23 years old. Um, I barely started in this process. Um, but what, what I've, and I, I really have a long way to go, um, and I frequently have to keep my character in check and remind myself that you know, I'm carrying on a great work and I cannot come down. But I've already found that as I continue to go through that process of pray, prepare, persevere, um, I get to point some people to, to who God is and really help them develop that vision to do the same with their life. Um, and to me, that, that's, that's something that I'm really proud of. Um, it really makes my heart smile. Um, so in, in closing, as the, as the band comes up, I'd like to to share a short video of someone who's much, much farther down the road than me. Um, And to me, I think he's really like a modern day Nehemiah in the sense that how big his vision is, Um, it's really Nehemiah sized and how God has really used his vision to point a lot of people to himself. Um, It's inspiring to me and I I hope it is to you as well. And there's a a full movie about his life and about who he is and what he's done and really how he's trusted God to really see his vision through. And, yeah, it's really helped him, you know, find, maintain, and carry out vision. Um, so I hope, I hope tonight was, was, will be helpful for you um, as you try to find, maintain, carry out a vision for a successful life. Thanks.